Amen. I tell you what, I, uh, I hope that a hunger and thirst for God's Word is captivating your life today. Scripture says, Do not let the book of the law or the Word of God depart from your mouth. Be very careful to pay attention and obey what it says. And the Lord says, I will never leave you. And then be strong and courageous. God has given me that passage in a meaningful time as we prayed about coming here to serve alongside with you. And God's word is our foundation. That's more than just a song today. A couple weeks ago, we had a series entitled Decision 2012. And we were asking God to direct us and guide us and our responsibility to vote as we stand on his promises for candidates, for leaders who would follow his commands as best as we know how. I was pleased to uh, see uh, an ad in many newspapers across the country uh, from a guy who looks like this, Billy Graham. On November 6th, the day before my 94th birthday, our nation will hold one of the most critical elections in my lifetime. We are at a crossroads, Billy says, and there's profound moral issues at stake. I strongly urge you to vote for candidates who support biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman, protect the sanctity of life, and defend our religious freedoms. The Bible speaks clearly on these crucial issues. Please join me in praying for America that we will turn our hearts back toward God. I tell you what, it's not just Billy Graham who feels a need to say, I want to share my voice. Your pastor wants you to continue to pray and say, God, give me guidance. As I've shared that before, some people said, is there anybody left who doesn't already have their decision made? Well, we can have fun continuing to pray and talk to God and say, God, this is what I feel like you've put in my heart. Keep talking to me. Don't miss Tuesday as we exercise not only our right, but our responsibility. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. As we start week 2 of our current series, what is it? Come hungry. Now now the good news is, whether you're uh, new to church, you've been coming to church for a long time, this is going to be easy for a lot of us to do. Just don't eat breakfast and you will come to church hungry. This is a dangerous thing to teach or preach on um, right before the lunch time. And you begin to think, man, I could have got a couple more donuts. Why was I not thinking of that? But we're talking about more than just a physical hunger. We're talking about a spiritual hunger. What does it mean for us to come hungry to Jesus? We are looking at the significance of meal times and food and breaking bread with one another in Scripture. And not unlike today, it's the same thing today, that there's a lot of significant moments that happen around a meal time and around food. And today we're going to continue in that, not just studying what happened, But pulling up a chair to the table and saying, what would it have been like for me to be there sitting at the table with Jesus at these very important moments? Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, we'll read through 48. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, Jesus, 
were a prophet, he would know who he is, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt, forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, as we find ourselves at the table, we have to understand that there's more going on here than what meets the eye. There's some things happening underneath the surface. And and to get at that, there's some first century customs, some table manners, if you will, that we have to explore. And there's some, some manners, some table manners that we may not be as well versed in, but we need to look at those. Now, I think we can understand that in different cultures, there's There's different ways to be polite. There's different ways to do things right. If you've traveled overseas, you know that even today there's different customs, there's different manners that people have. So uh, as we dive into some of the first century customs, let's remind ourselves of some of our own. See how good with your manners are. There's a pop quiz right now. You didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, uh, but it's kind of fun for me. You're not prepared. We're going to have you vote, and it's going to be of great eternal significance uh, if you get these right or not. Uh, the, the pop quiz is this. Here's the first question. Some, some social etiquette questions. Number one, see if your etiquette is up to par. This is according to Emily Post, and she, I guess, has everything right with etiquette. When should someone start eating the main course at a formal dinner? Now, now think about this carefully. Is it A, after the hostess is seated? Is it B, after the hostess lifts her fork? C, after three or four people are served? Or D, as soon as humanly possible? When should you start eating the main course? Now, if you're an A person, you say, as soon as the host is seated, raise your hand, vote proud. Come on, okay. If you say it's, it's B, raise your hand after the hostess lifts her fork, okay. Uh, after three or four people are served, raise your hand. Very good. And you're just going to dive in as soon as you hum- humanly possible. Okay, you're my friends. All right, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, of, of B answers there. Emily Post says the, quest, the, the correct answer is C, after three or four people are served. Now, that's crazy. I mean, like most of you go, no, it's B. That's the way I was taught, letter B. But I guess even though we feel that way, maybe, maybe we need to revisit that. At least she may need to revisit it. All right, the second question. What do you do when the person across the table has food stuck between their teeth? Now, this is important. I'm helping you out. This is going to happen across a lot of lunch tables today, and so you need to review what your plan is going to be. Is the right social etiquette thing, is it A, you intentionally just stare at the food in their teeth and just try to move it by just staring at it, making them uncomfortable? Or is it B, do you kind of yourself motion and kind of pick your teeth, hoping subconsciously they mimic your actions? Is it C, you just say, hey, are you saving that for later? Just kind of point it out. 
Which one? How many would say, you know, it, it's, it's A, uh, you're just going to stare at them, all right? How, how many would say B, you're going to kind of mimic, okay? C, you're just going to tell them. All right, that's a trick, trick question. It's D, you do nothing. That's what I do. You don't really care. You know, that, that's their problem. No, I'm not sure what the answer is. Let's show how good of a friend I'd be. There's all kinds of social etiquette that we have. We say this is the right thing to do at a time. Now, this last one, it, uh, it's not necessarily around the table, but um, there is definitely some etiquette here. What is the correct response when your cell phone goes off in church? Well, we need to talk about this. It happens from time to time, and how should you respond? Should it be A, you just look annoyingly aggravated at the person in front of you just blaming them for your cell phone going off? That's one option. Is it B, you just go ahead and make your ringtone a worship song preemptively helping this to happen, and you just chime in and worship? Or is it C, you buy a generous gift card for the pastor for interrupting his sermon? It's C, that's right. And if it's on vibrate, just go ahead and do the right thing and uh, do that. But there's all kinds of things in our culture that we just feel like, well, this is the acceptable thing to do, or it's the, the normal thing to do. And no matter how you did on that quiz or not, there are things we just know. Like when you go in an elevator, you don't stare each other in the eyes, you look at the numbers. I don't know why we do that, we just do that. And we begin to understand that when you're in line, you don't stand super, super close. You give a little bit of space. That's part of our custom and our culture. In first century, we had some etiquette and social behaviors here in Luke that we need to, to look at. Now, these are not just any old average social etiquette. They're rules in Luke 7 that they all knew very well. We're at Simon the Pharisee's house, and, and this is an oversight of some social etiquette. Now, he didn't just forget. It wasn't that his mom didn't teach him the right rules. He knew the rules well. He has now made a decision to ignore Jesus and insult him intentionally. So here's the scene. Jesus comes over to Simon the Pharisee's house, and he has invited Jesus as a guest. And when he gets there, he doesn't greet him with a kiss. That would have been a customary thing. You can write that in. The, the, there's a customary greeting with the kiss. Now, if they would have had equal stature, you would have maybe kissed him on the cheek. Or if he was of high stature, you may kiss him on the hand. But there was no greeting with a kiss. It'd be just like if you would invite someone to your house and you'd go open the door and you'd see who it is and you wouldn't shake their hand. You wouldn't give them a hug. You wouldn't say, come on in. You wouldn't kind of nod to them. you just turn around and walk away and leave the door open. I mean, this is not... What you do, if, if you invited somebody over, there's, there's some kind of greeting, there's a handshake, there's a hug, there's a come on in, there's a pat on the back, and, and that day it would have been a kiss, and there was no greeting, no kiss given. Also in those days, it would have been customary to, actually mandatory, to have a foot washing before the meal. People would recline at the table, and they didn't have their feet neatly tucked underneath the table, hidden away. They would lay down sideways on a pillow, and their feet would be out to one side, and their feet would then be close to someone else's face. And with dirty and dusty roads and smelly feet, it made for not a good aroma at the meal table. And so it was customary to wash someone's feet. Now, if they were of high stature, the, the host may wash their feet. Now, it is more common for the servant to go wash their feet. But at the very least, I mean the very least, you'd provide some water and a towel for them to wash their own feet. Also, uh, not as much custom, but definitely a hospitality, would be to anoint somebody's head with oil, a guest who is there. 
like I said, it's, it's not always the case, but it was something that was good hospitality to anoint your guest's head with oil. For Jesus, there was no kiss on his cheek. There was no water to wash his feet. There was no oil for his head. And this was not an accident. Simon was purposely, intentionally ignoring Jesus. He was making a loud statement. Now we may ask the question, well, why did he invite Jesus over if he was just going to treat him this way? Don't miss this. Most likely, Jesus had been teaching in the area. And as Jesus being the guest rabbi, Simon, the lead rabbi in charge, it was his obligation, it was his religious duty to invite the visiting rabbi over for a meal at his house. So we're likely seeing Simon doing the religious duty, but not doing it with his heart. He was fulfilling a religious duty, not doing it with his heart. It's, it's just part of his job. Now that's, that's what's happening. Perhaps I think that if we were to pull up a chair to the table and join Jesus at this meal, one of the things that we would notice right up front is a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we here out of religious duty, write that in, out of religious duty or out of a genuine desire? Are we here out of religious duty or are we here out of a genuine desire? Sometimes we can find ourselves in church and, and we're not here because we really want to be close to Jesus. Am I here at the table close to Jesus because I'm just born into this Christian religion? Am I here at the table close to Jesus because that's what ultimatum my girlfriend gave me, that if I didn't come to church, she wouldn't be with me? Am I here close to Jesus because of what people may think of me if I wasn't at church? It's some obligation that I have to do. I don't want people to think bad things about me. But I am not necessarily here because my heart is in it. Is it the expectation of my family? You know what? You may be here because it's the religious, it's the right cultural thing to do. But as your pastor, I have no desire to make you more religious. I have no desire to make you follow some rules. My heart is that you fall in love with Jesus. It's not the rituals that Jesus is after, it's our heart. And Simon's story tells us that. Now, I can find some very uncomfortable ways that I fit into Simon's shoes, and and no doubt you can do the same. When we begin to see our Christian life or even our ministry as kind of a job, and we begin to do things because we have to, not because our heart is in it. One red flag that should go up is when we begin to see people around us, just as Simon saw the woman, he almost detested her when she came in, disgusted him. Has there been people that God has brought across your path to befriend or to minister to? And you may not have gone as far to say they disgust me, but they aggravate you. They just get under your skin, and they just don't quite get all the social clues, and they don't know the customs around here. And, and we begin to respond in a way that's more like Simon than like Jesus. Jesus is wanting our heart in it, not just some kind of ritual. You see, little things indicate that we do it out of our religion or our job, and we find ourselves sitting in Simon's chair. 
We associate with Jesus because we have to. We eat with Jesus because that's what's supposed to happen, but we don't put our heart in it. Jesus is calling us, church, to come hungry into his presence, not because we have to. And last week we saw not because of what he does for us, but because we want more of him. If last week was to to catch that, if Jesus is the only thing on the menu, will you still come hungry? This week, if we're to catch to come hungry means we have to come wanting to have our heart in it. To be close to Jesus. Now don't miss the irony of this. Simon the Pharisee, he went to rabbinical school. I mean, basically this tells us by the age 12, he had the first 12 books of the Old Testament memorized. By age 15, he had all of it memorized. He had over 300 prophecies of the Messiah committed to memory. And here, though he knew all the stuff, sitting at his table was the Messiah and he missed it. If you're taking notes, jot this in. Simon's whole life has been dedicated to studying and looking for the Messiah. And the Messiah is sitting at his table with feet that haven't been washed. With a cheek that had not been kissed. And a head that had not been anointed. Simon's whole life had been dedicated to studying and looking for the Messiah. And sitting at his table was the Messiah with feet that had not been washed, a cheek that had not been kissed, and a head that had not been anointed. If I think we were sitting uh, close to Jesus today, coming up close at this dinner time, we may ask ourselves this question, do I know about Jesus, or do I really know him? I mean, do I just know a lot of stuff about Jesus, or do I really know him? Some of us have gone to Sunday school decade after decade, year after year, month after month, week after week, and we know so much about him. We've been to so many Bible studies. We've taken so many classes. We've read so many books. And yet, when the Messiah is right in our midst, we don't notice it. Do I just know a lot about him, or do I really know him? Another way to put this is, I think, for many of us, We've confused knowledge with intimacy. We've confused our knowledge of Him with intimacy with Him. Now, don't misunderstand me. We need to have knowledge. We need to read the Word. We need to know what it says. But when we read and we know what it says and our heart is in it, we are drawn to have intimacy with Him. And we say, Jesus, if you're here, I don't want to ignore you. Now, this wasn't an accident by Simon. He was intentionally snubbing Jesus. You think about the irony in the other direction. On comes to the scene this woman. She did not have the Old Testament memorized. She'd have a hard time coming up with more than a handful of prophecies about the Messiah, and yet she knows who Jesus is. So she comes, and it's pretty awkward. It's one of those moments where you could just feel the tension in the air, because she has not been invited to the party, and she shows up unannounced. To really understand this tension, look at verse 37, where she's referred to as a sinner, is living a sinful life, and... Really, the language here is telling us that she's not just somebody who has sinned. She is somebody whose, like, occupation is sinning. Her business card said, sinner. She was a prostitute. That's what the situation is. So you've got this tension. You've got this religious leader. You've got Jesus, the visiting rabbi. And you've got a prostitute who comes on the scene. 
It's hard to imagine how desperate this woman must have been to come to Jesus again, to put herself in that position. Look, she did not want to show up at this party. She'd spent her life trying to avoid Simon's house and houses like it. But she knew that Jesus was there and that he would make a difference. She saw something in him that caused her to leave her comfort zone to get close to him. It makes you wonder what Jesus was teaching about earlier in that day that drew her to come back to him. You know, I'm I'm not sure what Jesus was talking about that day. Maybe he was teaching about forgiveness and he told a parable like the prodigal son of a son who took all the wealth and went out and spent it in wild living and decided to come home and and ask for forgiveness. And then the father ran and threw his arms around him. And maybe as he was teaching and sharing, Jesus caught her eye and she saw his love and a glimpse for her. I, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't what he was teaching on. Maybe he was teaching on redemption. You know, that's a theme throughout Scripture where God comes and, and makes things new and right. And he takes broken pieces and makes something beautiful out of it. And, and she began to say, you know what, maybe, just maybe it's not too late for me. Maybe Jesus wasn't teaching at all. Maybe she just caught eyes with Jesus and it was the look that he gave to her. And no doubt, I believe this woman was accustomed to men looking at her, but she only knew a few different types of looks. She was probably well acquainted with the stare of lust. She knew what that was like. She was well acquainted with the, with the glare of condemnation and judgment. But when Jesus looked at her and he began to smile, it was, it was almost as if he valued her. It was as if he was glad to see her. So she comes in and I'm guessing that if you're sitting at that table with Jesus, unfolding before you with this tension and drama, the same question may come to your mind. Maybe it's not too late for me. Maybe it's not too late for me either. I don't think you could spend a lot of time with Jesus and not come away with that conclusion. In fact, people all over Scripture who are around Jesus had that understanding. Jesus went up to Zacchaeus, a tax collector who was despised. He was a cheat. He was a scoundrel. And he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house for lunch today. And he said, okay. He said, I'm going to hang out with you. And when Zacchaeus left meeting with Jesus, he was a changed man. He was now an ambassador for Christ. It was not too late for Zacchaeus, and it's not too late for you. Think of the woman at the well. She shared a drink of water with Jesus. She comes to the well, not wanting to be known, not wanting to be seen, but when Jesus gives her water, she leaves wanting to tell everyone who she has met. It wasn't too late for that woman, and it's not too late for you. Think about Peter after he denied Jesus three times. Jesus was raised from the dead, and they're now having fish on the shore at that cookout, and Jesus makes it clear, Peter, it's not too late for you. I can still use you. In fact, I want to use you, Peter. If you spend much time with Jesus, you will see that it's not too late for you. I don't know about some of you that that may hit home with you. You may not feel welcome at the table either. In fact, even coming into this place, coming into this church may feel a lot like Simon's house for you. You've spent your life trying to stay away from places like this. If that's what you felt, I want you to know I'm sorry. This is not 
Simon's house. This is Jesus' house. We don't want you to come in and feel like your whole identity is in your sin. Just like this woman, you may feel like I'm not just someone who has committed a sin, but your identity is in you being a sinner. So you don't see yourself as someone who has just committed adultery. When you look in the mirror, you see the adulterer or the adulteress. You may be a person who, when you look in the mirror, you don't just see that you have gone through the divorce. You, you remember one of your past churches that has now seemed to put a new name tag on you. You are divorced. And that becomes your new identity. And maybe you're a person here today and you feel like I'm just a, a liar and a cheat and that becomes your identity. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction and it's been time after time after time and, and people begin to know your embarrassing story and, and that just becomes who you are. You're just the addict. Maybe you're here today and you're that religious, proud person. You may have covered it better than everyone else, but every time you come in this place, you know your heart is full of sinful pride. You can't remember the last time your heart was moved for things of God, but you begin to feel like, well, that's just who I am. Jesus wants you to come into his place and know that you are more than what others want to label you. Let me be clear about something. We are all sinners around the table. As we took communion together just a number of moments ago, we are all sinners around the table. Every single person you lock eyes with, without Christ, they are destined for hell. That may encourage you today. As you look at people when they leave, you just know, without Jesus, they're going to hell. That one too, that one too, that preacher, that song leader, that board member, that leader. We all are sinners around the table. But with Jesus, there is hope. You know, sometimes when we come to a gathering of Christ's community, it feels like a gated community. The church is not meant to be a gated community. Sometimes when you come up to a gated community, they let you in because they feel like they have to, but they watch you to make sure you're in the right place. And you may be here today that you come to church and, and you feel like, well, they have to let me in. It's church, but they kind of watch me to just make sure I don't mess things up. We want you to know that God's house is not a gated community. I want you to close your eyes with me and just picture this final scene we find in Scripture. I want you, as you close your eyes or stare at your shoes, just to begin to put yourself in the place of this meal and imagine that you're sitting there. The woman comes uninvited. Jesus is reclaimed at the table, and the woman approaches, and she stands at the unwashed feet of Jesus. Almost instantly, the table grows silent you turn to look out of the corner of your eye, and along with everyone else, you instantly know who she is. Many people glare at her, expressing their disapproval, but for you, you put down your eyes. You're more embarrassed by her presence. You're really embarrassed for her as much as anything, and just the awkwardness of the moment. Out of the corner of your eye, you see Jesus smile. He seems almost delighted that she has come. His smile is warm and she is so undone by his smile that tears begin to flow down her face. You look and just watch as they begin to pour and run down her face and they begin to drip off her chin and she falls to the ground and she begins to kiss his feet and as soon as the tears start pouring down her face, they begin to drop onto his dirty feet. 
She looks at the muddy streaks on his feet, and I think it's at that moment that she realizes his feet haven't been washed. She can't ask for a towel. She's not even had an invitation, so she lets down her hair. In those days, a woman who wore, they wore their hair up in public out of, out of a, a conservative nature to be modest. If a woman would let down their hair in the presence of a man that was not their husband, it was grounds for divorce. So she let down her hair, and you can hear the audible gasp around the table. She washes the feet of Jesus, and her tears fall on his feet. Luke says that she had an alabaster jar of ointment. Most likely this refers to a perfume worn around the neck of women. As you might guess, because of her profession, perfume was quite important. She likely used one drop at a time, many times for many men. But now she just empties it. She pours the whole thing out, every last drop. She doesn't need it anymore. She pours the flask her whole life out on the feet of Jesus and just kisses his feet over and over. You can open your eyes. The question we have, was this reckless what she did? It was reckless. Was it impulsive? I think it was impulsive, at least many parts of it. Was it inappropriate? You bet. It was definitely inappropriate. But did Jesus love it? He loved it. Because this is what Jesus is looking for. He's not so caught up in our religion and our following all these little single customs, but he wants something genuine and authentic from our heart. That's a question for you and I. When was the last time you extravagantly poured out your love for Jesus? When is the last time you were so undone by his grace and his love that you just kind of forgot about yourself? Sometimes we're so caught up in what people think of us and and what we should do and what they would say that we forget whose presence we are in. A final thought for us today is Jesus cares more about authenticity than formality. Jesus cares more about your heart than he does about all the gold stars you have on your chart. Simon the Pharisee watches this happen. And look at verse 39. I love this. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself. He was thinking this. He did not say this out loud. If this man were a prophet... He would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, a sinner. And then look at verse 40. Jesus answers him. This is the problem when you eat with Jesus. He begins to answer thoughts that you have in your head. And he begins to speak to what he thought was private and in his own mind. He talks about this money lender and those who owed money and who had the greatest response of joy, the one who was forgiven the greatest debt. But look at verse 44 and 47. Then he turned toward the woman and he said, Simon... Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. As her great love is shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The final question for us today is, we try to make sense of what Jesus has for us. Who are you more like around the table? 
Probably better put is, who around the table do you desire to be like the most? A lot of us, by the way we live or at least act, we really strive to be like Simon the Pharisee. We want people to think that we have nothing wrong in our life and there's, there's no, no disobedience in our life. And we want people to, to look up to us and we want to have high positions of authority. And, and we want to live as if, you know, Jesus is good, but I'm not like desperate for him or anything because I'm kind of put together. How many of us desire to live like the woman who's broken and spilled out before Christ? Who her need for Jesus is obvious to everyone in the room? Whose acceptance is not gained by very many except for Christ himself? It's my prayer today that as we come hungry to Jesus, we will not only come and say, Jesus, if you're the only thing on the menu, I am satisfied. You are the bread of life. But Jesus, I want to come to the table. And I really want to be in your presence because my heart longs to be with you. Not out of religious duty. We can't come hungry, church, if we're here because we have to. We can't come hungry to Jesus, church, if we're here to impress one another. We can't come hungry, church, if we're here and we ignore all of our insults we throw to Jesus time and time again. As we pray today, my heart goes out to every one of us. Whether you identify quickly with the woman who doesn't feel very accepted at the party... Or the one who is needing way more than just an attitude check. If you're here today and you'd like more information about what it means to really let Jesus love you. If you'd like information about having a relationship with Jesus. About maybe being a part of this family at a deeper level. I'm going to be hanging out up here. I'd love to talk with you when we're done. But for a lot of us today, I think God has already pricked our heart. And we need to allow Him to... Take that truth a little bit deeper. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the reminder that there are some important things around the dinner table that we need to catch. And when we eat with you, when we have communion with you, when we do life with you, some of us just show up out of religious obligation, duty, because we had to. But you're desiring something authentic to pour out of our heart. And God, I pray today that you will begin to stir in us something that may be risky, something that may be impulsive, and something that may even feel inappropriate at times. But when our heart is right, it is so what you want. Jesus, I pray for those who are in this room who feel labeled by their sin. It's more than just conviction. It's condemnation that the enemy wants them to live under. Lord, I pray today will be the day that they not only get full forgiveness, but they are welcomed into your family. Jesus, I pray that you'll catch their eye. Your smile will let them know that they're not just welcome here. They are wanted here. It's in your powerful name we pray today, Jesus. Amen. Church, as you take off today... I want to begin giving you an assignment that we're going to talk about the next number of weeks. There's somebody in your circle of influence that may think they're welcome, but they don't know if they're wanted here. 
You've got the best excuse coming up in the month of December of three or four things to invite people to. And I want you to begin praying, God, who is it that I can not just welcome into this place, but I can let them know they're wanted in this place? That may be the start of God changing some of our heart that may turn a little pharisaical. Maybe you're here today and you say, I just need to spend time talking with somebody about being loved by Jesus. I'm going to be hanging out up here. I'd love to do that with you. God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you tonight at 6 o'clock. Don't miss it. We're going to learn about faith displacing our doubt.